0: Tricast.
1: Tricast. There's a few songs in there that didn't even get cleared. Really? They're secretly hidden in the film. Yeah. What?
0: Mm-hmm. Which ones?
1: Well, the Nirvana song. Oh. Um, The last song that they recorded before Kurt died. Courtney Love mm-hmm. gave it to Cameron Crowe secretly to put in the film.
0: Welcome to Sync Love, sponsored by Sink Floor a podcast where we get to chop it up about film, music, and production with experts from across the media landscape. The pairing of film and music is an inspiration to creatives everywhere. And on today's episode, we get the privilege of spending time with live friend and consulate sync professional, Heather Boyd, talking about Vanilla sky. Heather is head of sync for North America at Believe, an independent record label and music distributor based in Paris, working with artists like The Blaze, Novo more. Pity biscuit, Yunaka, and more. Before, believe, she was head of creative licensing at Ingrus Music Group. An LA native and inspired by music and film and TV at a young age, Heather recently music supervised her first indie film, Take Me to Tarzan, streaming now on Amazon. Welcome to the show, Heather. Thanks so much for being here.
1: Of course, thanks for having me.
0: So I'm super excited I get to do this. I've known Heather for a long time, and she's awesome. And one of the things, however, I did not know as we got ready for the show, was the fact that she had just done her first film. Why don't you tell us about Take Me to Tarzana?
1: It is a very indie comedy. It stars Jonathan Bennett and Samantha Robinson. And it's about the two of them fighting against this tech company that they work for that's been flying on them and collecting data.
0: Very topical.
1: Yeah, and their CEO is this crazy, Tarzan-obsessed man, and he has a pet monkey, and he, oh,
0: okay, yeah, so, so like, 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 really crazy shenanigans tarzan, tarzan that go on. Tarzan-obsessed, <laughs> <a real. laughs>
1: yeah, and he lives in, in Tarzana.
0: Got it. It sounds like a fun thing to music supervise.
1: It was fun. Yeah, it's definitely fun.
0: Cool. Well, streaming now on, it, on Amazon, so uh, people can check that out. So then the other kind of fun thing is that Heather is coming to us live from Costa Rica. In these times, you find people ending up in all sorts of interesting places. So tell us, how come you're in Costa Rica right now?
1: Well, I love it here. This is my third time and just taking advantage of the remote working situation that we're all yeah. still in, seemingly for just a little bit longer. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. One last little remote work trip in before
0: i start being only that sounds that sounds pretty amazing (laughs) you know the entire production team is jealous (laughs) we're like why did we go meet her there
1: (laughs) it's nice i can't complain the bugs are huge oh really like the bugs are no joke
0: right (laughs) (laughs) do you have do you have some pet bugs that you're feeding now
1: (laughs) we're renting out the shower do a few uh, <laughs>
0: spiders that are like. Oh my God! I, I do not yeah. like spiders. Okay, so I'm glad I'm here then. right, <laughs> I'm mean, trying no. to get used to them. But, All yeah. right. <laughs> Better you than me, then. Okay, I wanted to jump in and ask you. So, why Vanilla Sky? Because how come you chose this one?
1: Mostly because that was the film that got me interested in sync and music supervision. Yeah, career inspiring film.
0: For those who don't know, Vanilla Sky is a remake of a Spanish film called Adrenos Open Your Eyes. And it was really cool to get a chance to watch that and then rewatch Vanilla Sky. I think you probably did the same. I
1: did the exact same thing. Think, yeah, yeah <laughs> that,
0: that was pretty neat. So, what did you think about the differences between the two films, especially musically?
1: I feel like, for the most part, it was in line where it's like modern day. Films in the same way that Vanilla Sky is. Mm. Uh, I know there's a lot more for. I don't think there is any actually in Vanilla Sky.
0: Yeah, you know, it was this really great, lower budget film, but it was super engaging. I actually ended up feeling like the music. It was, in a way, underwhelming, and I wonder if part of that is the comparison, because as we'll get into, like, the music in Vanilla Sky, you're just like, oh, my goodness. And the scoring could be a little heavy-handed, but the way the characters interacted was incredibly Mm -hmm. engaging in the original. But you have this remake with Cameron Crowe, who, of course, you know, you then sort of expect, like, okay, this can be the thing. And then it starts with that Radiohead song. <laughs> I remember. Yes. Yeah. I remember for me, like having come out of watching Avril Lavigne, I was like, "Oh yeah, this is going to be totally different as far as music." Because this song, though, right? How did that hit you?
1: That song hit me the first time I heard it, and and that was the first time I ever heard that song. Like, yeah. In Vanilla Sky. So the beginning of that film <laughs> to me already was just like, what's happening? And I was already just like in line with paying attention to music in, yeah. the, in a way that I never had before. Um, um, yeah, obviously, music is a much more important role in Vanilla Sky versus Leak on the Conroe's version. But I mean, budget alone hmm. is going to have so much. Yeah,
0: he's going to be able team. to do more
1: the relationships that he already had in place with artists and,
0: and his reputation for it. That's right. And you know, I, <laughs> I started when I was re-watching on the sky going, right? like, okay, so Radiohead, Red House Painters, R.E.M., Coltree, the Impressions, Peter Gabriel, Paul McCartney, Theory Corporation, the Chemical Brothers, Lovana, like, I was just there, I was just there going, what, what, what? Right? And then thinking about the job, right? The music supervision job, I was just like, <laughs> like yeah. wow clear everything yeah yeah. yeah yeah and you know when you talk about the inspiration that it gave you is it something that there's sort of this like oh my goodness you can do something like this and then afterwards thinking about it in the context of actually being in the career you go back to and think about what it means to do something at that scale
1: I think that's something all music supervisors are with, but I mean that's exactly what I just went through with taking to Tasmania. The director wanted huge songs with an indie budget, mm-hmm. and yeah, the majority of my job was just trying to get songs cleared that would never clear. But I was just crying. <laughs> it's my job, you know. But the soundtrack is massive. The CD or CD at the time, CD yeah. that I still have with yeah. you know 15, 16 songs or something. Yeah. But the amount of songs that are actually in the film is like 40 mm-hmm. that had to be cleared. Mm-hmm. And in doing some very recent research in the last day, yeah. <laughs> a few minutes, there's a few songs in there that didn't even get cleared. Really? They're secretly hidden in the film. Yeah. What? Mm-hmm. Which ones? Well, the Nirvana song. Oh. Um, the last song that they recorded before Kurt died, and Courtney Love mm-hmm. gave it to Cameron Crowe secretly to put in the film. Oh wow! Yeah, so wow. it's it's hidden in there in this weird scene that's also mashed up with another song that wasn't clear. <laughs> Just over like a bunch of like weird sounds, so you can't even hear it. I wouldn't even hear it, it. yeah, yeah. So much music that had to go into clearing that in I don't know Mm 2000, and they were probably going through like I don't even know what clearing songs,
0: yeah, looked like then, right?
1: Looked like (laughs) then, like. Were we
0: using email to do that? <laughs> yeah, we like
1: signing have. contracts and like calls. Call,
0: yeah, calls and maybe some faxes were in there too. Yeah, yeah,
1: <laughs> so a much heavier job then than now, where we can just like email back and forth and
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, it, and even that can be paid for. You know, I I don't know if all our listeners know this distinction, but you have experience working on sort of both sides of the fence in the context of supervision, running sync at a large distributor and so fielding lots of requests for known and unknown artists or just creative briefs, as well as in the case of Take Me to Tarzana being on the the finding end, right? What did you take away from a perspective of both those sides, especially when you were doing Take Me to Tarzana?
1: Yeah, that is what I mentioned before is a complaint that a lot of supervisors have trying to clear. I mean, I work for an indie company, you know, we're, we're easy. easy i pretty, i pretty, pretty
0: big uh, on. Them. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. But I'll, I'll get it cleared. I'll do my negotiations and stuff, but I don't have to go to like, Party or yeah. whoever to try and get something cleared and mm-hmm. do that whole feel, which is what I, I was trying to do. So working mm-hmm. with those artists and, and trying to get things cleared. Especially if you're not working with a director like Cameron Crowe that like totally right. knows these dudes and can get stuff yeah. weird. It's yeah. like a handshake deal. Right. Um, right.
0: right.
1: I it's feel hard. for them. I feel for them. You feel you for them? It's hard. Rejection yeah. is hard.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you're right. That that relationship aspect of it that clearly Cameron Crowe brought to this film in the context of music and Graviton since somebody who has taste in music Especially in the context of film that people respect, that that definitely is, is something that would be really helpful for, for the music supervisor working on it and working mm-hmm. on licensing. Um so you were talking about a radio ad as being like you heard that song in the context of Vanilla Sky. And for me, as far as Cameron Crow, the similar thing was uh, Mother Love Bone. I think it was a single soundtrack with uh, Chloe Dancer, Crown of Thorns. And I remember just being like oh, this saw though? <laughs> you know and and you go okay this person really gets how to put these things together and <laughs> um, and that was pretty amazing so is there anything else as you looked at sort of the two films that your uh these are kind of interesting differences between Aru and Vinil you know, Sky like as the music aside
1: I mean, I love that Penelope Cruz just got to do her character twice. I thought that was <laughs> so crazy to me.
0: Yeah, I don't know, I right? That, that was, yeah, it's pretty amazing.
1: I don't think there's any other instance where that's happened. I don't know. Especially, don't, like, but so soon. The film right. only came out two or three years after the original, right, the original version.
0: Yeah, yeah. it seems to me like it's one of those cases where it feels like there must have been just this excitement. I think I read somewhere that Tom Cruise watched the original And was immediately calling, going, I want to make this.
1: I read that too. (laughs) At Sundance, watching it premiere and was calling. Yeah, (laughs) like, whether the credits are rolling, (laughs) it's like, we're doing this right now. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so there was clearly like that kind of excitement and desire to make it happen. And I think you're right, that it was cool to see Penelope Cruz in both those contexts. Like for, for me, there was this kind of intimacy that was there in the original in terms of how the lead characters interacted that maybe it was a little different because you have these high-wanted stars in Vanilla Sky interacting, right? But given that they followed the plot fairly closely, there's a little more hopefulness in the end than the Hollywood version, like, you'd expect.
1: It's just, like, Cameron Crowe's version is just visually so beautiful.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: It's a reference to the Monet King, yeah, and that just like being throughout the film, oh, yeah. And there's just so many more beautiful themes, mm-hmm. I feel like, mm-hmm. in that film, and all the like pop culture references that you see at the end that they played out in the film.
0: That's right, that's um, right. that's right.
1: I feel like Karen took that movie and then just deep dived it and like added a bunch of,
0: yeah, <laughs> a bunch more art. To- yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's a good great- <laughs> Yeah. Besides the music, like it was this kind of up leveling on a number of different dimensions. It was fun to see some of the things that had parallels, like in the club where they had the horizontal lights. Right? Like yeah, had the same thing, but just different colors, but same, you know, there's like these little things like it was that for me, anyway, it was very fun to watch them back to back because I think those things become really like in front of you you go, oh, oh. And, uh, oh yeah.
1: And the opening scene too yeah, is yeah. crazy that it, it is a mirror image of yeah.
0: those yeah.
1: different cars, yeah. different city, but yeah. like the way that they follow the cars, the camera angles and everything are yeah.
0: It was like kind of an homage kind of thing, right? It was was really, you speak of the opening, another thing that struck me was the choice of the music for that Times Square scene, which was one of the ones that wasn't actually like a massive, massive star kind of thing, but it was so perfectly chosen, you know, because you have this like silent, eerie Times Square and this really chaotic feeling. It was Mint Royale, maybe, is who did it. And it was really, really interesting, that choice.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to remember what that song was. Yeah, um, I mean it's very like foreign sounding. I feel like yeah. from Russian. Like, like. In there,
0: yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, it was is the name of the song? It was, it was just yeah, very very cool musically. That pairing was like one of the big moments. Like essentially, weirdly that, and then the Sigaro song oh, yeah, at the end. end. Right. Oh so my god! Just yeah, like, oh, 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 you know. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that was, and I discovered Rós from that film too, and Jeff Buckley, and mm-hmm. just started like changing my taste in music when I was just listening to a bunch of like hello music and hip hop <laughs> uh, in high school. Right. We started listening to Radiohead and Rós and, right. you know, basically the soundtrack, and actually the soundtrack,
0: all right. Been. Right. So let's say you were music supervising this film, any choices you would have made that would have been different? No. No. <laughs> You're like blasphemy.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, there's no way. No. It's like so I would never even think about that. It's so <laughs> it's it's so perfect to me. Really. Um no. That's like trying to change like what's your favorite childhood memory? Yeah. No, I wouldn't do that. <laughs>
0: like,
1: just more like my favorite childhood memory is like me eating like two amazing popsicles. Like give me
0: four. <laughs> That is a perfect way of uh <laughs> just, <laughs> just give me more popsicles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's awesome. When we were getting ready to do this uh, show, we, we talked a little bit about Vanilla Sky and we talked about the car. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, the, the interesting thing to me is that, you know, so you, you were like, okay, the car. And, and I remember rewatching it and thinking, wait, the car was the, this GTO thing that was like declared a work of art and so on. But then I was like, oh, wait, no, the car. Right, you were like, no, it's the Mustang. That's the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, tell us about the Mustang.
1: Um, the Mustang is the Mustang.
0: <laughs> it's the only Mustang that matters.
1: <laughs> it really is for me. I mean, I don't understand where my weird classic car session came from. When I was a very young child, I was making my parents drop me off at car shows when I was eleven and twelve, and just and really- like. Wow. lot. <laughs> Burding out to these cars and dragging my best friend with me. Yeah. But I was eyeing the Mustangs. I'm pretty sure I had a Mustang book at the time. All right. And I saw that car and I was just like, that is the car.
0: <laughs> that car will be mine.
1: <laughs> 66, fat's back, red interior. It's yeah. perfect. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: I think you said that that's the plan. You're going to have that car. Someday, yeah. I remember I tell you, I learned to drive on a really crappy old Mustang. And you're like, well, then you're not so bad, Kurt.
1: (laughs) That's not what I said. That's not what I said.
0: (laughs) All right, all right, all right. I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing.
1: (laughs) I said, you're even cooler
0: now. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I texted my friend Alex Valdez. And he texted me um, a picture of the, the model, but then he texted me a picture of the car because you know, he's like, here it is. You know? He still has like, it. He still, he still well, he, he, he has, I don't know if he still has it, but he has you know lots of pictures of it around. Yeah. And he was like, I still remember us driving around and listening to the doors. <laughs> yeah. I was like, that would be perfect. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: That's what I would be playing in my Mustang as well. Yeah.
0: Sweet. Awesome. All right. Well, I'm coming for so, right then. <laughs> so what did you think of the club scenes?
1: Honestly, the club scenes are like so uncomfortable <laughs> to me. <laughs> like honest, I've seen the film so many times. And this last time that I watched it, I was like, I think I could skip it. Yeah. The character is just like falling apart. And you yeah. See this other version of him where he's so horribly unhappy and taking it out on friends and yeah. the love of his life and just getting drunk and like, yeah,
0: yeah,
1: that wasn't that club scene was never my scene either. So yeah. it was already like not a right. cultural place for me to be in, right? But yeah, that was not the song that was playing in Abre to tu Os
0: Tus Ojos. Yeah. Love, yeah. okay, yeah. yeah. I really need to
1: work
0: my Spanish. Spanish. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're in the right place, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I hope
1: it wasn't like, that massive attack. So I love that. No, no, oh, I'm yeah,
0: yeah I don't remember in our Los Ojos. It's uh, in Vanilla Sky, they played a thievery corporation, which like that part, I was just like. Yes, TV Corporation. Because I okay, yeah, yes, I was obsessed with TV Corporation. But the thing is, what what I feel like was really interesting is that there are these moments, including those club scenes, where you could have this juxtaposition, right, of something that can be dark and heartbreaking, along with music. Well, but you're in a club, right? And and I think that's something that Cameron Crowe gets to do a lot in really cool ways, right? To figure out how to line up music that serves as counterpoint. In really interesting, interesting. ways, you know? mm-hmm. And that's really great to consume. You know? It gives you a yeah. lot perspective on scenes.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to remember what there's another song. It's not just the Thievery Corporation song that's mm-hmm. playing in there. It's a oh, like, no, no, very like heavy, yeah. obvious like house
0: Yeah, Yeah, yeah music. I don't remember what the other ones, because I think I just kind of went ah thievery and it was, ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was <laughs> happy. Um so this has been super fun, but I want to give people also a sense of what kinds of things that you're going to be up to next. So, okay. Now that you've had your run on the indie film side with take me to Tarzana, are you going to do some more music supervising for film? What what do you think?
1: I mean, if the opportunity presents itself.
0: Why not? Was there there an aspect of it you didn't like doing?
1: No. Uh uh-uh. uh no, it was, it was so much fun and something that I've always wanted to do and a friend of mine asked if I'd be willing to do it and I mm-hmm. said absolutely and made the time to make it yeah. happen. Yeah, so if someone needs a music supervisor.
0: There you go. There you go. The call is now out. Heather has said that if someone needs a music supervisor for their film, please call. Yeah, I'm available. That sounds awesome. So now we're at the point in the show where we get to do the thing that we do with all the guests, um, which is a question we ask, is there a film and a scene, music that accompanies that scene where it always gets you? Like no matter how many times you see it and feel it, it puts you right in that place and it gets you. And that could be joy or it could be sadness or it could be whatever, but it always gets you.
1: I mean, I, all I can think about is Vanilla Sky
0: right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's a so It could be that. Which scene is it then in Vanilla Sky? That's like the one it's, that you're like, oh.
1: It's the cigarette, it's the last song. Oh,
0: okay.
1: Yeah. Um, I think it just pairs so beautifully with that scene. Mm-hmm. It's like minimalist and that building, emotional, welling sound. Yeah. That's hopeful, but breaking your heart at the same time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. And they do that thing so well, right? It's sort of like they were made to do that to you, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, I feel I I need to check my research, but I mean, definitely at that time, in 2001, cigarettes was unknown. I don't know if anyone can put any of their songs in a film
0: yet. Yeah.
1: And there's three there. Yeah. Yeah. And now Singeros and
0: just yeah. all, and yeah, they're like made. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, you're right. Which is amazing that you can have that first experience of like, oh, wow. These folks are going to do it. Um, and you can experience that in the context of a film. And so that's probably a great place for us to to leave it off. And Heather, thank you. Thank you so much <laughs> for coming to us. And spending time with us and doing it while you're in Costa Rica and sharing anything for
1: the- you've heard, always. Oh, thank <laughs> you.
0: Thank you. <laughs> and so, while well, this has been Sync Love, sponsored by SyncFloor. And if you're out there, keep listening to the movies. Sync Love is a co production of SyncFloor and Electrocast Media. On our next episode, musical director Josh Rabinowitz explores how the soundtrack of Stanley Kubrick's A Clockwork Orange changed film forever. Our producer is David Tausik. Our executive producers are Mark Netter and Peter Riffles. Our editor is Cam Castro. Special thanks to Sinkzler artists Naka and Mokov and Sinkzler partner Motor Music for their musical contributions to the show, as well as designer Jeremiah Whitaker for our of cover art. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like this show, give us a rating and tell your friends. Until next time, I'm your host, Kurt Dedeek. Keep listening to the movies. Electricast, transform your influence. Electricast.
1: Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices.
0: Trick-ass.